Welcome again to the Business of Kush, the cannabis business podcast where your host Chip Schweiger, the Greenleaf CPA, and his guests talk about all the business side of the cannabis industry, including accounting, finance, investing, and news of the day. If you're a cannabis business owner, investor, or industry insider looking for the dopest tips to make more money, improve profits, and increase the value of your cannabis business, you're in the right place. And now, here's your host, Chip Schweiger. Hi, folks, and welcome to this week's episode of The Business of Kush, the podcast where you get one actionable tip each week to increase the value of your cannabis business. For our regular listeners and subscribers, welcome back, and thanks for joining us again this week. I sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. Hey, if you're a new listener, a very warm welcome to what in a short time has become one of the top cannabis business podcasts. So if you found yourself here for the first time, you're in great company. Once again, I'm your host, Chip Schwager, the Greenleaf CPA. Yep, I'm that guy who's made it his mission to see you and your cannabis business grow. And just to set the table for the new listeners, I'm a 27-year veteran of public accounting and corporate finance. I'm also the founder and managing member of a CPA firm that helps marijuana, hemp, and CBD businesses stay on the right side of tax, accounting, and finance, while also applying proven methodologies to help you grow your cannabis business. And I created this podcast with you in mind. So maybe you're a cannabis entrepreneur who wants to make more money or build a more valuable cannabis business. Or perhaps you're an investor and are looking to keep your finger on the pulse of our industry. Well, I'll tell you, regardless of where you are in the cannabis community, or even if you're looking to get into the legal marijuana business, you're welcome here at the Business of Kush, and I hope you find value in these weekly episodes. We built this thing for you, so how you feel about the topics we discuss, the guests we have, and the episodes we record is super important. So we're in the midst of another tax season, and that means, unfortunately, Uncle Sam will be looking for his very large share. Now, that's not a political statement about the tax structure in this country, but rather a business statement of fact, since plant-touching marijuana businesses fall under Internal Revenue Code Section 280, and therefore they pay disproportionately higher taxes because, as you know, you're taxed on gross profit rather than on the net profit of a mainstream business. Not fair, I know, but that's the system we currently have. Now, there is another bill in the U.S. House scheduled for a vote this week, which would federally legalize cannabis, and it'll probably pass as it has before. But before we get too excited, it's also got to make it through the Senate and be signed by the president, both of which are uphill battles in an election year, according to most political observers. Could be wrong. Could happen all the way. Hope it does. But I'm not getting my hopes up too much just yet. I'd rather be pleasantly surprised than disappointed once again by the seeming reefer madness that's been going on in Washington for nearly 80 years. And that, my friends, is a political comment. Okay, so let's assume things stay the way they are for a bit and federal legalization is still a ways off. And we're back to taxes and we're back to 280E. Now, many cannabis businesses have believed that they could minimize their taxes by overstating cost of goods sold. 
Unfortunately, the IRS knows all the tricks and has been having a field day with companies trying to slide basic business expenses into cost of goods sold. In fact, the tax court is repeatedly ruling in the IRS's favor when cannabis management and their accountants are failing to follow what we call the intended nature or the spirit of 280E. In fact, just today, I talked with a client about the IRS once again ramping up audits of cannabis businesses. Yep, it seems as though the IRS is emerging from a COVID-induced slumber to once again set their sights on marijuana companies in legal states. Now, the agency has ramped up audits of marijuana businesses, including cash transaction forms, since last summer in multiple states across the country. Cannabis companies that have been audited of late include businesses in California and Colorado and Florida, Massachusetts, Michigan, my state of Nevada, and Washington state. And when you understand that the average IRS audit of a cannabis company returns over $4,800 per hour to the treasury, while the average mainstream business audit returns about $600, it's easy to see why cannabis businesses are back in the IRS's crosshairs. Now, the administration has a lot of priorities and a lot of places to spend money and a lot of promises that have been made. So that requires a lot of tax dollars. So the reality is there's no better time to make sure your books are squared away and you are fully compliant with Section 280E of the federal tax code than right now. And I'll tell you, with fines and penalties that could easily put your cannabis business out of business, this is really not an area to mess around. But if you're thinking there's so much to get right with your taxes that sometimes it's hard to know where to start, well, I hear you. So this week, let's talk about the biggest business mistake we see cannabis companies make when it comes to taxes, and that's commingling THC and non-THC activities. So one of the most powerful and legal tax strategies we have to mitigate the negative impacts of 280E is segmenting between cannabis and non-cannabis business activities, segmenting between THC and non-THC activities, and appropriately segmenting between production and other activities. While typically a cost accounting nuance, segmenting is especially powerful for us because 280E only applies to THC-related entities. This means that for regular business expenses incurred in the non-THC entity, they are, in fact, deductible. The essence of this strategy is that we want to isolate THC or plant-touching activities and stop the bleeding of allocating ordinary business expenses to this particular entity. And this is one of my personal hot-button issues. I think a lot of times cannabis owners think they should take a very conservative route when it comes to taxes, and I get it. Hell, I appreciate it. You'll never get into trouble if you do it that way. But the truth is your obligation and my obligation and all of our obligations is to pay every dime of taxes you legally owe, but not a penny more than that. So it makes sense to look at this so that you don't overpay. Underpaying is bad from a compliance standpoint. Overpaying is bad from a business standpoint. But businesses should be wary of the pendulum swinging too far in either direction. So a common strategy I've seen in recent years has been to allocate as many expenses as possible to cost of goods sold in the plant-touching entity and simply dump the rest of the uh, the costs into the non-cannabis entity. But here's the thing. 
this is bad accounting. It's super high risk, and it will eventually result in massive fines, interest, and penalties from the IRS, and I can guarantee that's going to happen. So let's talk about how to do it the right way. What companies should be doing is correctly developing a methodology in which they identify activities related to the production of high THC cannabis and those of non-cannabis or low THC. So let me pause for a second, though. I know it's all cannabis, whether it's marijuana or hemp, but it seems like some folks don't get it. So let's define the high THC, the Schedule 1 stuff, as cannabis, and we'll define everything else as non-cannabis just for this discussion. Okay. So the first tip is that documentation is extremely important every part of this industry. And when dealing with this, it's even more so important. When the inevitable federal or state tax audit comes, having documented policies and procedures can go a long way in establishing credibility with the auditor. And remember, the non-cannabis entity has got to have economic substance. It's got to be able to stand on its own, and it's got to be managed as a discrete business. So essentially, it's got to be a real company. Now, back to the segmentation. Some of the most important assets to segment are your fixed assets as well as your employees, and here's why. Fixed assets are especially important to segment as they offer very high tax depreciation deductions in the early years of their useful lives. Think of every fixed asset in your company, warehouse and storage center and freezers if you're a processor and transportation, manufacturing equipment, whatever, etc. Do you have a documented methodology to separate usage between cannabis and non-cannabis activities if you have them? It could mean the difference between claiming larger depreciation deductions or potentially leaving them on the table. So what do I mean? Well, think about a company that manufactures both hemp and marijuana vape products in two different entities. So the hemp will call non-cannabis for a minute because they're not subjected to ADE, and obviously the marijuana is on Schedule 1 and therefore subjected to ADE. As the biomass arrives in the warehouse, it will likely be placed in storage for some number of days. Does the organization have designated THC and non-THC storage centers on site? Well, the manufacturing equipment used to ultimately make the cartridges should be segmented between THC and non-THC activity. The non-cannabis divisions would also be able to take tax bonus depreciation, whereas the cannabis division will apply cost accounting to legally move a portion of the annual book depreciation into cost of goods sold. Also consider the trucks that will haul the product off to the customer. If the organization owns and operates the shipping portion, they will want to consider the segment strategy for these as well. So does it make sense to have THC and maybe non-THC designated trucks? For businesses that tend to rely on leasing fixed assets instead of purchasing them, you should also consider the mixture of capital leases versus operating leases. Now, the accounting rules surrounding the treatment of these differ as well, so it's an important consideration. Now, another important asset for cannabis organizations to segment is their employees. Employees are the biggest asset to the growth of your cannabis business because they ultimately get your product to market and to your customers. They're also likely to be the largest cost on your income statement. And so from a cost accounting perspective, their costs should be separated into either direct labor or indirect labor. Now, tax-wise, direct labor covers any cost that is directly associated with preparing a product for market. So think factory workers or trimmers and the like. 
Now, this is good news for a THC entity because it can be correctly allocated to cost of goods sold and thus reduce taxable income. Indirect labor would be all the other salaries such as back office and admin work or any employee that doesn't directly contribute to the final product. And yes, yes, that includes the accountants. Hopefully you can see why it makes sense to clearly define and segment employees by the cannabis and the non-cannabis activities, and further by THC and non-THC activities. Don't let the non-cannabis folks do work on the THC entity, because guess what? You've now mixed them up, and it's really, really hard to undo. Labor is often a huge line item expense, so ideally we'd like to get the maximum tax benefit of employing folks in your company. In this scenario, consider a small cultivator who grows both hemp and marijuana plants. A typical employee is responsible for the day-to-day growing procedures as well as ultimately packaging the final product for both hemp and marijuana. Now, from a tax perspective, this employee would be 100% direct labor costs, meaning no matter their split between THC and non-THC, we would include their salaries and benefits of cost of goods sold and essentially write it off. And here's what that means. Hey, what happened to my stereo? It's all smashed up. That's right. Now, it looks like it was broken during shipping, and I insured it for $400. But you were supposed to get me a refund. You can't get a refund. Your warranty expired two years ago. So we're going to make the post office pay for my new stereo now? It's a write-off for them. How is it a write-off? They just write it off. Write it off what? Jerry, all these big companies, they write off everything. You don't even know what a write-off is. Do you? No, I don't. But they do. And they're the ones writing it off. But consider their manager, who inspects and reviews the work of five other similar employees. Because the manager's time would fall under indirect labor, you'll need a methodology to determine how much time they spend on direct production and how much time they spend on other administrative tasks. Now, I'm not suggesting that you take attendance every day, although that could actually work. Instead, what we're recommending is that you give clear direction to your employees as to their job responsibilities, and then do a study to determine how much time they're actually spending on each. And oh, by the way, having this will help with pricing your products as well by truly understanding the related costs. From a documentation perspective, well-written and up-to-date job descriptions as well as employee policies and procedures can be key if and when you're audited. This, too, can greatly assist in responsibly dividing expenses amongst production, which are going to go into cost of sales, and other activities, which remain, as we say, below the line. Now, taxes in cannabis are extremely complex, and without the right advisors in place, you risk making a huge mistake, a mistake which can result in fines and penalties that can easily put you out of business. Now, I'm not trying to scare you but I'm just laying out the landscape as it exists until we can get federal legalization. So if you're feeling the least bit uncomfortable, talk to a knowledgeable cannabis accountant or tax advisor. Now, not any tax accountant will do. We've talked about this before. They've got to understand the very specific rules of the cannabis industry. There's just too much at risk to mess around with this. Okay, let's get to our last segment, and that's the one that we call News of the day. News of the day. 
All right. We've got, uh, let's see, two articles, I think, today that are probably good to touch on. Our first one comes from MJ Biz Daily, and the headline is, New Mexico tribes signed deal to sell recreational marijuana. So two tribal communities in New Mexico are planning to enter the recreational marijuana industry in the state of New Mexico. So the Pueblo signed, uh, two of them actually signed an agreement allowing them to regulate their own marijuana businesses within their communities, as well as applying for state permits for any cannabis companies that would operate outside of tribal lands. So this intergovernmental deal helps to reassure the tribes that they can sell cannabis on tribal land without the threat of federal law enforcement interference. So this is important as actually federal officials raided a household marijuana garden on one of the Pueblo's uh, land in September of 2021. So there's a little bit of wariness here, but sales of recreational marijuana in New Mexico are set to begin April 1st under legislation signed a year ago by the governor of New Mexico. And we talked about, we were in New, I was in New Mexico, gosh, maybe a month or so ago. And there's so much energy there around marijuana and ready to get that state to go recreational. It's just, it's really neat to see. So New Mexico is home to 23 federally recognized Native American tribes, though it's unclear at this point how many of them might pursue cannabis commerce. So American Indian communities across the U.S. have acted to create marijuana businesses on their land, and some have even partnered with established cannabis businesses. And the reason I mention this one is for a couple of reasons. One, uh, as I said, I was in New Mexico, and I'm just so excited about what's going on in that state related to recreational marijuana. And two, the relationship uh, between Native American tribes, especially in New Mexico, And so I'm excited to see the Native American tribes in New Mexico be able to start to sell cannabis. So great news to hear and looking forward to hearing more of it. All right. And our second article comes from Gonjapreneur, uh, gonjapreneur gonjapreneur.com. And the headline is Michigan cannabis sales reach $1 billion during fiscal year 2021. So Michigan cannabis sales topped $1 billion. That's right. That's a billion with a B during the fiscal year 2021, which equates to $42.2 million that was distributed to the state's municipalities. So in the fiscal year, the state collected $111 million from the 10% excise tax on cannabis sales and other fees, and the state had $172 million available for distribution from the Marijuana Regulation Fund. So the state treasurer, Rachel Eubanks, said that the funds represent, quote, a doubling over last year's payment amounts, which she said will have a, quote, larger impact on local government budgets. So in all 62 cities with 262 adult-use cannabis retailers and micro-business licensees will split $14.7 million. 15 villages with 31 adult-use cannabis retailers and micro-businesses will split $1.7 million. 33 townships will split $4.5 million. And 53 counties will split $21.1 million, the report says. And another four, and that, this is amazing, another $49.3 million from cannabis taxes and fees will be sent to the school aid fund for K-12 through education. And then another $49.3 million will be sent to the Michigan Transportation Fund, 
once appropriated by lawmakers. So the remaining $31.2 million will be used towards startup and administrative costs. Now, the reason I mention this is we've talked before about the fact that uh, there are two arguments around legalization of marijuana. The American public is in rabid agreement. 75% of us, 76% of us think that, that marijuana should be legalized. There's also a real economic benefit to states and cities and counties and municipalities for the legalization of this amazing plant. And that is, hey, you get all of that tax dollars into your coffers. So you can use that for great things like school aid fund. You can use it for great things like transportation and fixing broken roads. So one more place where I'm happy to see that marijuana is doing good, not only for the people that consume it, not only for the people that sell it and are able to feed their families, but also for the communities in which all of those people live and work. Hey, quick question for you. Are you liking what you're hearing on the business of Cush? Well, if so, please consider dropping us a note at our website at bizofcush.com. Now, if you do go there, you'll see that we've got every episode with the show notes and a place for you to ask questions or provide feedback on what you'd like to hear more of. This show is for you, and so if you're stuck on something in your business, let us know, and we'll help you dig into it. So head on over to bizofcush.com, and please drop us a note. And even if you just want to say hi, we'd love to hear from you either on a comment, or you can leave us a voice message while you're there. And also, just one last reminder, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. And all of them are at Biz of Kush. So let's connect. And with that, we're done for this week. I want to thank you again for your continued support of the podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. We'll see you. You've been listening to The Business of Kush, the podcast for cannabis business owners, investors, and industry insiders. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to this podcast. It's easy to do by clicking on that subscribe button or follow button. And you can also follow us on social media at at BizOfKush or visit us on the web at www.thegreenleafcpa.com forward slash listen. We'll catch you in the next episode. And thanks again for listening to The Business of Kush.